You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Andre. Uh, these early morning podcasts, they just, they don't work for me. Do we want to, do we want to say like the behind the scenes uh, incident that happened this morning before we get into this? Uh, sure. What the heck? You can just show that I'm not really fully paying attention, although I set uh, the interview up. I, I woke up uh, very early, casually went for a nice stroll with my dog. The weather's finally above zero in Toronto, so things are warming up. And I get home, I start doing, I, I set up my morning. I was doing some very important work for uh, for my day job. And then I see my phone ringing, and it's like ringing off the hook. And then I listen to the voicemail, and it's a frantic voicemail from you because you, I think, forgot that there's a time difference between Toronto and Chile. Yeah, I thought the podcast was at 9.30. Uh, suddenly, my uh, my Google reminder goes, hey, your podcast is at 8.30. I'm like, does Andre know it's 8.30? I told him 9.30. <laughs> so Michael, yeah. Michael had the shocking awakening, but uh, the reason why the time in Chile is important is we are joined by Viviana Navarrete. Or is it Navarrete? How do we say your last name, Viviana? Navarrete. Navarrete. And... Uh, Michael, it's because we recently had a chance to taste uh, a bottle of Pinot Noir, affordable Pinot Noir, which is very think, affordable Pinot Noir, which is really always good affordable Pinot Noir. I mean, that's it, because it's always a challenge when you get that sub $30 Pinot Noir. It's a little bit of a gamble whether it's going to be good, drinkable or harsher tannins. And this was one that, uh, you know, like it's a banger. Like it is. It is just great. It is solid. I think it's going to age really well. I just we'll, we'll talk about our tasting notes in a bit, but uh, Viviana is the winemaker for San Pedro, and um, so good morning, Viviana. Good morning, guys. Nice to to be here talking with you. Thanks very much for for the opportunity. And um, the the wine that we're talking about is called Tayu. Is that the correct correct pronunciation? Excellent. Perfect. Oh, good. So I've got, I've finally got some of these pronunciations right, Andre. Good for you, Michael. (laughs) And, um, but it tells an interesting backstory. And that's what got us, you know, first of all, we got the wine and we're like, oh, if the wine tastes good, then we'll, we'll talk about it. And the wine tastes, as as Andre said, it's a banger. It's a fantastic bottle of wine. So why don't you tell us the backstory of what makes this wine not only so good, but, but so interesting. Well, it, it actually has a, a really nice story, Michael, that makes a, uh, this Tayu something very special, as you say, because it's not the traditional project of a vineyard owned by a winery and managed by people of the winery. This started because San Pedro Winery all, always have worked towards sustainability and in many items, like with solar panels, trying to get electricity, natural electricity to the sellers, we have uh, some small hydroelectric um, plants, biogas plants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And the one thing that was pending towards sustainability was the sh- social work. So um, Juan Curi, that is the um, uh, manager, agronomy manager for San Pedro, decided to start developing a project that involved working with the. Uh, uh, native community that in Chile the the native community is uh, or, or originate community is Mapuche, uh, and together with Pedro Izquierdo, that is our viticulture consultant, see that he's one of the best in Chile. 
uh, we reach out into Araucania, that um, the main population there is, so the main population of Mapuche is there in La Araucanía, and we started to, to talk to these people and invite them to make a project together with San Pedro. Uh, and the special thing, uh, Michael and Andre, is not only that we were working with Ma uh, Mapuche people, but also Araucanía has a valley that is very small, that has very little tradition in viticulture, that is Mayeco. And is for you to have an idea, it's 600 kilometers down south Santiago. So it's ver very south. It's a cold climate. Um, and it's a fantastic place for Pinot Noir. So it was a really round project because it involved working with native people and uh, getting into a valley that has very little development. Uh, and the idea in general, what San Pedro had in their mind is trying to make the viticulture a tool for social development. The thing is that Mapuche people don't have enough opportunities. They are, they have a, 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 I don't want to go deep in politics, but Mapuche people have lived a life with a lot of efforts, with a lot of pains. Uh, you have to go back in the history, in the Chilean history, when we were colonized by Spanish people. So Spanish people came here and tried to, started to push the frontiers down south, and Mapuche people had to um, lose their lands. So there's a strong story about battles where many people uh, died, etc., etc. And Mapuche people have all those pain in their heart, in their way of thinking. Um, so it was a beautiful project to give them an, a, a new opportunity to, to le learn them, or so, sorry, teach them about viticulture. They didn't have any knowledge about viticulture. Um, and like really give them a business because at the end, Tayu, that the name Tayu is uh, ours, is our project. San Pedro together with Mapuche, Tayo was going to bring them a new opportunity in life to, to give them a vineyard, which they actually own, a, a business that they are going to give to the new generations, a, and a business that they are going to feel proud of. So a, I think it's a beautiful project because, it, you know, it's not everything about, of course, doing wine and winemaking, and we are really passionate about that, but it has this beautiful phase of social development and social opportunities where you are doing something good for for people wow you covered uh, you covered a lot of ground in that there um michael well <laughs> i mean i mean the, the question because i know you and i have spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about uh you know i guess social movements for a lack of a work it's been a very interesting time i know viviana said she doesn't want to talk about the political aspect but one thing that's but she, happened but she did if you think yes. about it and 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 the, the, the political thing that i thought about is wow the europeans are always they're lovely all over the place not just in north america but south america <laughs> the europeans were such wonderful people well but i mean it's interesting yeah. it's interesting how political wine has gotten especially over the past 12 months i mean it's one of those things where you know, at its base level, you know, the purpose of wine is to bring pleasure. But, you know, I think over the past 12 months, especially in North America, the political view has really started to change and really infiltrated the wine world. Um, when did you start? Because obviously this, this was a project that was started or a partnership that was started before 2020. Uh, how long have you been working with the, with the Indigenous Peoples, Viviana? 
since back since 2014. So, so the idea of the project started in 2014, and when San Pedro really got into Mayeco it was in 2015, and the first vineyards were planted there. So it's it's a long project that now we see the results, but but it has been a, a really long project, and it, it wasn't that San Pedro just came into this place alone. It was helped by the government, by institution of the government, as in that, um, and they show, they they got got us in here and showed different communities of Mapuche because the, the population of Mapuche is huge, and they are all different, uh, and we had the the um, luck of uh, of arriving into Buchahueco, that is the name of this special community where we found people that is amazing. It is formed by 24 families. It's a, a community that has 700 hectares. It's a paradise. If you go there, it's everything about hills. Uh, they used to, to, it's an area that is uh, full of forest. People used to work in forest, a lot of wheat uh, as, a, as a crop. Um, and it's, it's just beautiful, the landscape. And there you find this community that is formed by 24 families that is really, really nice people. They are very humble. They are very hard workers. They are very, you know, when you get there, they always with their smiles, with their eyes shining, looking for opportunities. And uh, it has been just fascinating to work with them. And what Mapuche people has that is like there's um, what make them so special is that they are, since they are young, I, I mean, they have it in their blood, they are really connected with nature. So they always, for example, they pray to the land. They, they call it Nuke Mapu. Nuke Mapu is the land and they pray to the land. When they, they want to, to, to make a crop, or, or develop a crop, they pray to the land for have good results. They are full of ceremonies that is so uh, different of our culture. So if they want, for example, to have rain to feed their crops, they pray to the rain. And then if they want to stop the rain because they have received, I don't know, rain for a whole week, they pray to stop the rain. Uh, or if they want to bless a crop, they pray and do a ceremony with all the community. So, you know, we have this beautiful uh, um, thing that happened that when we, we actually, we are already in the fourth stage. So we are like with the, the seventh and eighth family now. But when we were in the second and uh, with the third and fourth family to plant their vineyards, we say, okay, we are going to go on a Tuesday um, and we're going to start the, the, uh, working the land and etc. to bring air, etc., etc. And uh, one of the Mati, that is like the uh, oldest woman in the community, say, no, 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 stop. You cannot come here and start planting the vines. First, we have to do a ceremony and pray to the land to be blessed to have a good production with the grapes. So, and we say, okay, we're going on a Tuesday, you know, like a, a work day. And she said, no, 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 no. You have to come in a um, um, weekend because we do everything here with the family, with the children. And the thing is that in the community, there's no school. So little children have to go outside, outside to other cities to go to school. And they stay in the school from Monday to Friday. And all, only the weekends, they return to this community. 
So it was something fantastic because you would say, you know, these people work with the families. They do, they involve their families in everything. It's like a beautiful energy. And we as Chilean, we're used to work Monday, Friday and separate families. And then weekend, we separate everything. So the thing is that we ended up in Buchahueco in a Saturday with all, I went with my kids. Everybody went with their kids. And we woke up at 6 a.m. in the morning with all our kids and the families of Mapuche uh, uh, waited and, until the sun went up from the mountains and made this beautiful ceremony that lasted for three hours. Um, but you know the energy that you can get from this kind of ceremony with everybody involved, not only adults in the business, but when you get the little children, the grandfathers, the grandmothers and everybody, you feel so nice. And, 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 you know, it's not something cliche that you say, it's something that you leave it. And at, at the end, I think wine production, it's everything about energy and this kind of sensibility and emotions that you can get from these kinds of situations. So it's funny because when we started working in this, we said, OK, we are going to teach Mapuche language, uh, Mapuche people to to do vine production and to grow grapes, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end, really has been a win-win situation because we have learned a lot about them. And I always say that this project makes me be a better professional, but also it has made me be a better person, you know, like with more sensibility and sometimes more grateful, I would say. I'd, uh, I'd have to say, Andre, that uh, you and I have to get together uh, very soon and uh, pray for summer. Let's see if it works. Uh, I was just saying, I think what we need to do is travel to Chile and learn some of these prayers and ceremonies. And uh, I mean, it's one of those things where if you've ever been to Chile, it's interesting how the weather is moderated, mainly due to geography, obviously. But I mean, I guess maybe we need to find out whether that power of prayer really works. Yeah. I, no, I just, no, no, no. I'm just praying for spring or summer or warm weather, and uh, that's and I figure you know maybe if the, maybe these people know something that we could get a bunch of people together and just really just will spring here you know like for March first. So Viviana, the question that I have is uh, when you were working with the indigenous peoples, like you've talked a lot about their own cultures and traditions. Uh, I'm guessing that growing grapes and making wine wasn't a part of that. How how have they been in terms of, you know, taking taking wine and wine production and integrating that into their, uh, their, their traditional ways of, I guess, dealing with the land and dealing with agriculture? Well, that's a, a good question because they, the Mapuche people, didn't have any knowledge about winemaking nor uh, growing vines, viticulture. So at the beginning, there was a, and I would say this was the, the, the weakest part of the project, it, it was the confidence. Like they didn't trust enough us that they were going to do a good work and that they didn't trust us that we were really going to, to work hand by hand with them and, and guide them in because the process, you know, growing vines lasts three years in, in the beginning. And it's a so long process and everything about details. Um, so at the beginning it was something like tricky and complicated, but then when time went passed through, they really 
um, they lived uh, and, and they experimented. We were very present. We went there every every month, every 15 days working with them. And from knowing nothing, they have become, and believe me, they have become excellent rowers. Uh, and I always say, I work for Leda Winery, which is part of the VSPT group. And we have our own vineyard that is in the coast of Chile. Uh, we have 100 hectares and beautiful grapes, but if I have to compare the grapes what, that we produce and the grapes that Mapuche people produce, I would say that definitely the ones that come from uh, Mayeco and Buchaweco are by far the finest, the more clean, the, the best. If you see the clusters, I, I, I put here my sorting table to select the clusters and everything, and people stand with their arm crossed just looking at all these bunches dance through the table and they have to do nothing because the, the grapes comes here totally clean without any leaves, without any dehydration. So they have become greater um, growers, vintners, I say. And, and it's, again, I say it's because the level of connection that they have with nature. When, when you speak with them, each family has only two, 2.5 hectares. So it's almost like their garden. They open the door of their house and they get into their vineyards that are small and it's all almost the garden. So they know excellent and precise the condition of every vine. If one vine dies, they know perfectly with which one they're going to replace that vine. Um, so the level of observation and connection has made them work their vineyards with the, such a detail that I always say is what you what you see in Burgundy. It's a, the small production produ, uh, producers with their small uh, vineyards in their houses. Um, it's just fantastic. So uh, sometimes many people, uh, I don't know, read books and study and have a lot of hypotheses and, and rules in their minds. But when you see these kind of people that have always lived from the mother, uh, from the land, um, and have this uh, sensibility, they are, you know, they are blessed, and uh, and we are feel very happy. And more than us, they feel actually very proud of what they have have done. And uh, and now you them, and and it's really nice to hear them because they speak about bricks, uh, they speak about the level of acidity, and you you hear them that is. Uh, Every year, their speech about the grapes is uh, is uh, is increasing. So it's it's really fantastic. So my next question is uh, for more of a personal note, I guess, about you. Um, so how do you come to winemaking? How do you come to the project? And what's it like to be a winemaker in Chile? It's a three-part question, obviously. Uh, I have nobody in my family related to the wine business, so it was my own discover, my own path. In Chile, to be winemaker, you have to study agronomy, so I've always loved chemistry and biology, so agronomy was one of the career, of course, to study. And then in the in Chile, agronomy is five is a five year career, and in the last year, you have to choose the specialization. And when I had to choose, um, Winemaking was one of the, of the alternatives, and uh, in the, in that moment, a lot of things were happening in the Chilean wine business. Uh, a lot of, uh, I would say, new valleys were started to be discovered. Um, a lot of work was done in the premium segment, so it was uh, a lot of happening, and I wanted to be part of that. 
So I've been working in the wine industry for 20 years. Wow. And uh, today I, I can say that I couldn't have chosen a better career. I, I, I think it's fascinating. I, I really enjoy all the stages of, of, uh, of my profession and, uh, and to make wine is, I think the beautiful thing is that you are involved in all of the process. So from the vine, when growing the vine and, and the grapes, etc., doing, of course, the vintage and, and the blends and everything, and then the bottling, and then taking a plane and visit the market to show the wines, etc. So it's, I think it's, I always say it's just like having a, a child, you know, like the wines are my child and, and you, uh, you see them grow and, and then you, you leave your child in, in the school. It's like leaving the wine in, in the market. Um, it's so full of details that I really, really enjoy. And it, I, I think today in, in the Chilean wine business, everything is happening. It's, I, I'm lucky, really, because um, I don't know, since, uh, since 10 years or 15 years, I've lived a, a strong movement here in Chile about, you see the Chilean viticulture map, a lot of new valleys have been discovered. Um, actually, wineries are pushing frontiers. So, some wineries are taking risks in the north of Chile, very uh, near to the desert, Atacama Desert. You see the coast of Chile, we have 4,000 kilometers of coast and many wineries are, are coming here in, in, in the coast, making fresher and mineral style of wines. And the other side, up in the Andes mountain, many wineries are, are colonizing the Andes, looking for fresher and more extreme terroirs. Um, and you see the same movement towards in the South. So Tayu is one of, I would say, one of the players here in this uh, change of, uh, of making wines in Chile. But, you know, uh, many wineries are doing strong work looking for fresher uh, microclimates, uh, a lot of studies in the soil. So you can see nowadays beautiful exponents in Chile trying to to craft wines with more identity, you know, that show the origin. Um, also, back in Chile, we manage this, the traditional grapes and no more. But today you can see the rescue of old vines as Pais, as Carignan, vines with, I don't know, 400 years old, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's, a, it's a really good time to be working in, in, in the Chilean wine business. I, I, I really enjoy it. Wow, you you covered a lot of ground with that that question, Viviana. I I think that there's one thing that you touched on though that is going to be very important for the future of Chilean wine, especially with the drinking habits of millennials, uh, people looking for that unique experience. I think one of the problems that could be coming down the road for Chile is the fact that a lot of the wines come from very large companies, and there's definitely a homogenous field of them, and that's. That's fantastic when you're new to wine because you can pick up a bottle of, you know, let's just say for just off the top of my head, Concha y Toro Cabernet Sauvignon for $9 and get a consistent product every year. But when you're looking for those unique products, like that was one of the things I was very excited about with this Pinot. So it's exciting to hear that you're looking forward to the, looking forward to what's the future of the market's going to be. But another thing that you mentioned talking about the future is um, you touched on something that I found very interesting when I had a chance to visit Chile a couple of years ago is companies are starting to reclaim these old vineyards, uh, like some of which are hundred years old of varieties that, you know, we don't even hear about or haven't very little experience with. 
uh, you know, like I saw a company, DiMartino, working with grapes like uh, San Francisco, which is, I don't think, something a lot of us have ever had a chance to taste in North America. Is this something that you, apart from the Taiyu project or, and Leda as a company and San Pedro, are going to be working towards? Is that a direction that you're going to be heading in as trying to reclaim the traditional heritage of Chilean winemaking? Yes, definitely. Well, in fact, San Pedro has worked in, in Itata, uh, making wines with uh, Pais and also with Senso, um, and another one that is called Primitivo um, and Dolcetto. But coming back to the old vines, it's, yes, with the Jesuita. I, I made a wine uh, from there, Jesuita. Jesuita brought those vines back in 400 years ago and they are like bush uh, vines so it's not the the uh, vertical trellising system but vines planted uh, as a bush everywhere in, in Itata which is a, a fascinating terroir um, and, and yeah Andrea I, I think the future is of Chile is there is uh, you can see nowadays small projects uh, everywhere um, trying to do more a niche style of, of uh, wine not this massive uh, that you can find, as you said, like for seven dollars, etc., a bottle. But more, more wines into this. Um, it's more specific, more into the terroir, more of uh, of, of bringing character of the place, you know. Uh, so more focus, less production. And nowadays, you find a lot of pro of projects like this with more independence, uh, or or sometimes three winemakers join and do this exercise. Um, well, Tayu is a, is a good example, of course, because Mayeco is a valley that, I don't know, it has 130 hectares. It's nothing. So it's a really tiny project. And the other thing interesting about this Tayu is that it's located very close to the coast. So it has both effects of cold uh, influence is because it's very uh, um, down south, it's southern. So it's at 38 uh, degrees latitude parallel and it, it is about 38 kilometers from the Pacific Ocean. So it has some maritime influence and it's cold because it's south. Um, so it's very special because mainly in Mayeco the main production is between the mountains. It's more in the center, the center valley. And this uh, Tayu or Buchahueco project is uh, very close. It's in the, actually it's in the east side of the coastal mountain range. Um, so it's the most extreme vineyard in Mayeco. Uh, and I think in the future, more people and more wineries are going to reach into this valley because uh, it's cooler. You have uh, the, the other great thing about in this place is that you have a lot of rain, rainfall, natural rainfall. We receive about 1,200 millimeters of rainfall a year. That's a lot compared to Central Valley where we received, I don't know, 300 millimeters. You know that Chile in the last two years, not this year, but in the last two years, we suffered a lot of um, lack of water. We didn't have any rain. The, the agriculture suffered a lot. It was, um, uh, it was madness. Many wineries had to take vines out because of the lack of water. So the south of Chile, I would say in a kind, is like the future because of cooler climate and you have this benefit of, of natural rain. Uh, so yeah, San Pedro is looking there and is making many small um, projects. So things are, we have, uh, I would say more, we will have more surprises in the future.
So I'm going to bring us back to the Taiyu project really quickly here and ask you, first of all, and it's, it's again, I got these two part questions coming up. One, why did you choose Pinot Noir uh, to plant? And two, are you going to expand the project with other grape varieties, such as Pinot's partner Chardonnay? Or yeah, anything group, else that's a cool climate grape? Yeah, uh, well, first we decided Pinot Noir because uh, the project was landed in Araucanía, specifically in Mayeco Valley, which is a cold area, a cold climate area. So we said, okay, this is the paradise. And also it was in, as I mentioned before, it was in um, the coastal mountain range where you have granitic soils, which is beautiful for Pinot Noir. And so you had both low temperatures, because what happens here is that February and March is very, very cold. And the season, the ripening season is very slow. So you have the climate, the perfect climate for Pinot and the perfect soil as well. And you know, Pinot Noir is, I think for every winemaker is a, the, the most challenging grape variety. So diff difficult to, to grow is uh, full of challenge. So we, we wanted to make this uh, like really, really uh, a strong project. So not only working with the nat native uh, community, but also uh, working with a different difficult grape. Uh, and we started uh, with Pinot. And now we are working, um, uh, we are now with six families working. We have a total of 15 hectares planted. Each family, as I said before, owns 2.5 hectares. Um, this year we're planting with three more families. So the, the project is, uh, is growing. <clears throat> And yes, we have think about planting another one. And yeah, we have thought about Chardonnay because it's the brother of Pinot Noir, but also maybe another, I would like to, to plant a little bit of Riesling and a little bit of Sauvignon Blanc or, uh, or maybe Grunet Betliner or something like that. But uh, I mean, everything has to be very responsible because the owner of the vineyards are the Mapuche people. So, so first we, we decided to really focus in Pinot Noir to, to make the distribution and the sales of, of the wine that of course is the most important because we have to pay back everything and, and do the economic return of, of the business to, to give money to, to the families. Um, so we did decide, decided to be very responsible and uh, focusing Pinot Noir, but now I think we are in, in a stage where we can think about another grape. And, and just quickly i don't know if you had anything to do with the label at all but is that like a symbol of the mapuche people or um is it i where did the label idea come from i guess it's fantastic i adore this label it's actually the face of uh, of woman mapuche but it's not just one face like the artist took many many photographs of many mapuche uh, women and ended up in this face, which is beautiful because if you see the chest, in the chest of the lady, you see the vineyards. It's like the rows of the vines. And I think the expression of this woman is just fantastic because it expresses really the soul of Mapuche woman. That is, they are so hard laborers. They are so, it's, it's people with a lot of history, you know, and, uh, and I think in their eyes, she wants to transmit like the, the spirit of, or, or the, I don't know how to express, but maybe the um, 
esperanza. I don't know the English word for esperanza or the hope, I would say, but um, it's a... It's a um, I think it's essence. Uh, esperanza, essence? Essence, yes. It's a tribute to, to, the, to them, to the woman. Well, Andre, I think I'm done with questions, unless you want to talk quickly about the wine. I know we said we really liked it. Did you want to, you know, give a little tasting note of any kind? Yes, it was It was interesting to taste it, because like I said, the, the price point was definitely something that attracted us to the bottle. I think it's about $25 at the... Nope, 20 bucks here. $20. 20 bucks, $19.95. Holy smoke. Okay, so that's even even better value. Uh, when we opened the bottle, because you and I, we, we talked about, I think we tasted it either one after the other or on the same night. Uh, when you open it right away, the tannin comes off as a little harsh at the beginning, but it took about an hour for it to soften and it delivered everything I expect from a well-made cool climate Pinot Noir. So it was a lot of cherry, uh, a little bit of those earthy notes, um, and a just fantastic balance. Um, you know, I know I've said value about 10 times, but I mean, that's not the only reason why this wine is, is good. Like it's Pinot Noir that delivers everything you expect from a good bottle of Pinot Noir. Well, and, when I tasted it, I, I didn't get the tannins that you got, but I got a, like a just a huge note both on the nose and the palate of like fresh earth character. And that kicks the whole thing off to me. But as you said, it really opens up half an hour to an hour later. We just got layers of cranberry, uh, red currants, herbal notes. Uh, there's a smoky note. There's a savory note. There was just, again, everything that I would have wanted in a Pinot. Uh, and I, I would have said this this bottle will lay down and age for a good five to seven years, maybe a little longer. Uh, but I, it was, it was again. I'm more in the, I'm more in the value, three to five you know, years. I'm more in the is, three to five years territory than the. I think seven might be make it a little long in the long in the tooth, but three years it'll smooth, really come. I want to smooth that earthy character out. I think and bring the fruit more to the front. It might, it might go that long. We'll test it out. What the heck? Okay, we'll see. We'll see what happens in seven years. <laughs> So, Viviana, we'd like to thank you for being on the podcast today. Fabulous bottle of wine. Thank you for bringing it uh, to our attention. Uh, we'd like to thank Dandaran, who also brought the wine to our attention uh, and brought Vivian, Viviana onto the podcast with us. So thanks to everybody uh, who made this uh, possible. Thanks very much, Michael and Andre. It was a pleasure. Take care. Oh, you and uh, good luck with Harvest. I guess that's either underway or coming up very soon for you. Yeah, we started last week, so it's very crazy here. So thank you for taking the time during harvest. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thanks to you, guys. It was a pleasure. I can't believe you used the C word on me. And actually, I can't believe I didn't think to ask that question myself. That would have been worth the, the nickel in the jar. <laughs> I, was, I so much was like, oh, this is going to drive Andre crazy because he can't really ask the question because how... <laughs> What is what is he gonna ask? Uh, are you gonna plant the c word? <laughs> um, no, good wine. Um, and I think, like I said, in a in a world where, like I said, and 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 Viviana kind of touched on it as well, just with how she, uh, you know, how she presented the the project and the wine, the wine world is in the middle of a a political awakening, and I don't think it's a bad thing. No, and it's nice to see them working with uh, the indigenous people. And I, I really, and as I, as I pointed out, um, but more in a, in a humorous way, I, I, I get it. It's not humorous, but uh, that they acknowledge that the, the indigenous people were treated poorly by 
the Europeans, and they, you know, it's it's, a, it's nice to acknowledge it and not just whitewash over it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to see that coming from Chile because it, it's one of the things that has uh, irked me a little bit about the political awakening in Canada is that we've focused so much on on Black Lives Matter and George Floyd, and these are very important issues. I'm not saying one is more important than the other. It's it's amazing that this has taken place and that we're having these conversations about race and involvement in the wine industry, but there has been very little mention of Indigenous culture in Canada and how it affects the wine industry and the fact that every winery in Canada is built on stolen land with the exception of Incomeep. And now we get really political. So let's, uh, let's I mean, that's something we can explore out of those waters. I mean, that's something we can definitely ex explore, explore down the road. But I mean, you went down the, the route of European settlers treating indigenous people badly. I mean, it's one of, uh, one of the, the worst things that we don't spend enough time acknowledging as Canadians. True. But, um, uh, and I ask you, and I would ask pretty much anybody the same question: Would would you be willing to give up your house? I, but I mean, that's not necessarily the the answer or the solution, right? No, I'm just saying. But it it le it does sooner or later. Everybody ends up leading to, well, would you give up your house? Would you give up, uh, you know, uh, your favorite restaurant? I think that's an oversimplification. I think if you take a look at even just what the conditions are that exist on reserves in Canada, that fact that we have a large segment of the population that don't even have access to clean drinking water. I don't think it's about anyone coming to Michael Pincus's house or Andre Pru's house and asking us to give up what we have, but it's making sure that Indigenous people have access to the same level of care. I, I have, I have, no, I have no argument with that. It's just the, the reclamation of, of land, right? They keep saying, we want our land back. We got to get past that and 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 go on to giving them a better quality of life and 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 living up to the promises that we made to them when we stole the land. I, you know what? I think we're just treading into treading into waters where maybe it's just not the purview of the of the podcast. It is not. So let's get on to the wine. The wine is great. Pick it up if you can still find it. It's nineteen ninety five. It is available at the LCBO and anywhere else you can. You can find five fine wine. I understand it's in very limited production too, Andre. So we were really lucky to get it here in Canada. Wow, in no, that is good. Actually, that is one question that I didn't ask Viviana was how many bottles they actually made. Uh, because like you and I said there, at 20 bucks, it's a steal. Frankly, I think they could be selling it for a few dollars more. But if it's just about getting the bottle in people's hands, I mean, they've succeeded. I'm completely sold on it. So let's uh, let's close it up and uh, get on with the rest of our day. I'm Andre Peru from AndreWineReview.ca. Uh, we would like to take a moment to thank everyone who's taken a moment to check out our Patreon. We have a couple of new um, patrons, so we very much appreciate the support. I know Michael and I have said it many times. It is not expensive to produce this podcast, but we do have a few bills. So even if it's $2 or $5 a month, we very much appreciate the support because it does make sure that we keep the wheels on and running and turning. And you can check that out, patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. And I'm Michael Pincus of michaelpincuswinereview.com. Sorry, we got a little bit off the rails there. Maybe, I don't know, we'll get back on next time. Find me on social media. I'm the great guy and uh, Michael Pincus. And uh, Andre, I guess it's just uh, traditional goodbyes in the usual. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. This episode of Two Guys Talking Wine was produced by Jim Ray and Adam Duran.